and the words of your servant Nehemiah, and we ask that you will open your words to us, and that you will open our ears and our hearts to receive your word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Do you pray? Yeah, I guess you're in church, so I guess you do pray. I'm very pleased that you do. But what do you pray about? Do you pray about yourself? Probably, yes. Your family? Your friends? Those nearest and dearest to you? Do you pray about what's going to happen in your week? The job you're going to do? Do you pray about the country, the state of the country? And br br No, I can't use that word. <laughs> but you know what I mean, yeah? Um, do you pray about the world and the problems of the world? Do you pray for peace? Or do you pray about what's really bugging you at the moment? And it's good to pray. But do we know how we should pray? And what it means? And what God is really like? And what are your expectations when you pray? What do you expect to happen after you pray? Do you expect a miracle? Or what? Interesting. Now, as Martin said at the beginning, we're going to look for the next few weeks at one of my favourite stories about one of my heroes, Nehemiah. Now, I've got used to the fact now that when I say, I'm preaching about Nehemiah, people say, who? Well, look, he's got to be important because he's got a book to himself in the Bible, hasn't he? So, he's got to be some sort of a guy. And actually, it's quite different to the other books in the Bible because, as Martine said when she was reading it, it's written in the first person. It's written by Nehemiah himself. And he's saying what he did. And there are two things you need to understand about Nehemiah right at the beginning. And the first is he was definitely a man of prayer, but also he was a man of action. And in his life, the two things went together. But let me fill you in on the scene. Nehemiah was born and grew up, not in Israel, but in Babylon. In the year 587, uh, the Babylonians invaded Judah, the southern part of Israel, took as many of the people as they could captive, destroyed the city walls around Jerusalem, made quite a mess of the temple, and took the people back to Babylon. Actually, although they were prisoners, and to a certain extent slaves, it was a benign sort of living, if it can be under those circumstances. What I mean by that is that the people were able to keep their own customs, worship their own gods, whoever they were, the captives, and were given the opportunity to thrive in Babylon society. If you know the story of Daniel in the den of lions and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the fiery furnace, you'll probably know those better than Nehemiah. You will remember that they were in Babylon, they were Jews living in Babylon, and they were the equivalent of top civil servants. They had thrived in that society. And actually, Nehemiah has a top job. More of that later. But what Nehemiah's dream was, and I'm guessing here, would be the same as many men of his generation. 
because their parents and their grandparents would have told them about Israel. This was our land. This was the land God gave to us. And the city of Jerusalem. Wow! That's special. You know, in Jerusalem, they would have said, there's this temple. And, you know, more than anywhere else, you were aware of God when you went in the temple. It was the place where heaven touches earth. It's a wonderful, it's the most sacred place in the world. Now, I was saying earlier, I am very jealous that last year, Martin was in Jerusalem. The last time I was in Jerusalem, the last time, I've been there twice, was 20 years ago. But, it just resonates with me. I used to work in a shed in my garden in my vicarage. And I had a picture of Jerusalem there. Because there is something special about that city. and That's how I felt. And so, when these folk come from Jerusalem, and you remember from the reading that uh, Nehemiah says, well, how are the people living back in Jerusalem? And he gets a report. Oh, they're in a terrible state. The, you know, their morale has crashed down because the walls are down and the gates are burnt. It's a wreck of a place. And Nehemiah is shattered by this. But this is especially the place I dream of going to. This is especially the place where God lives. This is, how can this happen? And what he does is he fasts and he prays and he weeps for this city that he's never seen. Now when Nehemiah prays, he doesn't just say his prayers. He gives dates for when he starts praying and when he starts taking action. So you can see he prays for about two months. Not non-stop. I think he carried on with his job, but every spare moment he's praying. He's praying, God, please do something. Please restore this city. How can you let this happen? And, you know, he's so upset about it. And he wants God to do something. He wants the city walls rebuilt. He wants the world to see that God is with his people. And he prays and he prays and he prays. And the thing about Nehemiah is he knows how to pray. Now, that seems strange. We all know how to pray. But what I mean by that is he understands his God. And I don't think we always do understand God. Sometimes we think of God, I say this respectfully, as the genie in the lamp. I'll pray to God and I'll ask him to do something um, because that's his job. I actually had somebody say to me in church, God's not very good at his job, is he? Because I ask him for things and he doesn't do them. Well, I think we've got a bit of a wrong impression there. Actually, do you know, if I had a chat with God, we were speaking to each other, and I said to him, now, listen, Lord, um, I go to church every week, I say my prayers, and I ask you to do things, and you don't do them, and I'm getting fed up with it, 
Why don't you do them? And you know what God would say to me? He'd say, good grief, Gary, what a coincidence. I was just going to say exactly the same thing to you. I ask you to do things and you don't do them. And I'm getting irritated. Why don't you do them? Because what Nehemiah recognises is that God's the boss and not Nehemiah. And when we give God orders, we think we're the boss and he should obey us. But it's not. It's the other way around. When Jesus calls people, he says, follow me. That implies that he is leading. He's not doing what we want. He wants us to do what he wants. Because that's what he wants. And because actually that is best for us. But Nehemiah, well, he knows his God. And he starts his prayer, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servants that I now pray before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. He acknowledges that God is big, he's great, he's awesome, he is amazing. And what am I, God? I am your servant. You know, if you were invited to Buckingham Palace and uh, you put on your best clothes and you go there, you're going to meet the Queen. Wow, this is big, this is good. And so uh, you get there, but you're quite nervous and uh, you go in, the policeman at the gate checks you and then you pass the soldiers and you get in and there are people to meet you, check your invitation, do everything and then you're ushered in by a footman or a foot person I should say these days, I'm sure I, yes. And you're in the presence of the Queen and she greets you and she says, how are you? And you say, oh, I'm not bad, Your Majesty, but actually it's just one thing. I mean, got quite nervous coming here, my mouth's very dry. You wouldn't like to pop down to the kitchen and make me a cup of tea, would you? Would you say that? Wouldn't be wise, really, would it? But that's sort of how we treat God. But Nehemiah recognised this, this is great and awesome God, and he is God's servant. God is the creator of the universe. He's the boss of the universe. And here is an amazing, amazing thing. Jesus said you can approach him and call him Father when you speak to him. And when you say Father, he listens. And that's amazing. You don't have to go through the gates, show your pass, pass the soldiers, have a foot person to lead you. You say Father. And this great and awesome God listens to you. And that itself is awesome. And Nehemiah knows something else. He knows that this God loves his people. You love those who love you and keep your commandments, Lord. And he knows that God has a mission for them. He says, you said if we disobeyed you, um, you would scatter your people, but if we turn back to you, you would gather them again and bring them to the place 
where you want. And the place where God wanted them, Nehemiah believed, truly was in Israel and in Jerusalem. Because that country and those people were supposed to witness to the world how God wants people to live, who God is, to, to show what life could be and should be. That was their mission. And we have a mission. We are his rep representatives here on earth. And the church worldwide has a mission, and so too does St. Michael's in Chiswick, has a mission from God. Do you know what our mission statement is? I'm not going to tell you. Um, but we do have a mission. And our mission is to witness to this God. And this is the awesome thing. This great God, who we often don't treat rightly and disobey, trusts us with his mission because he knows that we can do it. And you might not think you can, but you can. And it might be a challenge, but he wouldn't ask you to do something that you can't do. One of the other things about Nehemiah is he's a team player. Now, I'm a football person, and I like team players. People who are going to sacrifice themselves for the team. You know, I used to play for a football team. It was a really bad team. And uh, we didn't have a goalkeeper. I didn't have a regular goalkeeper. And one week, the captain said to me, right, Gary, you're in goal this week. And I said, no, I'm not a goalkeeper. And he said, no, look, Gary, we've all got to take our turn. I said, yeah, but I... I can't play in goal. And he said, now look, if you play in goal this week, we won't have to ask you for another 10 weeks. So I went in goal. We lost, inevitably. But I had to do it for the team. Because the team should win together and lose together. We are in this together. And what Nehemiah does is he confesses. He says, God, we have disobeyed you. Your people, my family, and me, we have disobeyed you. Now this is a big deal, because what he's talking about is the, is the big disobedience. They've been disobedient to God. They hadn't followed his commandments. They hadn't followed his ways. So the whole of Israel became divided. And then individually they became divided. Their leadership was corrupt. And that was how Babylon was able to invade them, defeat them, and carry the people away. And Nehemiah was saying, I'm part of that. And you say, but you weren't born when that happened, Nehemiah. But he's saying, I'm part of the team. So I'm going to say, I'm sorry. And you can look at the state of the world, we can, and touch and say, I'm so glad I'm not part of what makes it bad. Many years ago, there was uh, a correspondence in the Times, in the Times newspaper. People were asked to write in and put down what is wrong with the world. And the writer and poet, G.K. Chesterton, wrote in. And what he wrote was, Dear Sir, I am, yours sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. And he was saying, I am one of the reasons the world isn't as it should be. We're all in this together. And you know, I, I winced 
had a bit of a speech um, from the comedian Ricky Gervais at the Golden Globe ceremony because he said something about the church and I don't want to go into what he said and I thought it was unkind but I understood why he said it and I winced and I thought he's got a point and that doesn't describe me but I'm part of the church and we and we're a family together. And we have to pray to God about that. God, we want to be your witnesses and put us right and show us the way we should go. Now, Nehemiah confesses, and what he's saying is, please, God, solve this problem so that we can be your people, that we can lead the mission that we have to do. And as I said, we have a mission. As a church, we have a mission. And Nehemiah is waiting for the answer. What's going to happen? God, what are you going to do? And what, and I can't tell you what happens, because uh, next week, <laughs> Martin is going to tell you what is the answer to Nehemiah's prayer. And I don't think it was what he was expecting when he started to pray, and it often isn't. But he has a mission, yeah, for this church and for each one of us. Nehemiah was conscious of this mission and that it wasn't being fulfilled. And we need to pray for the church as a whole and for St. Michael's as a whole that we can be God's witnesses to the world and the centre of the world, which of course is Chiswick, isn't it? So. We need to be praying for that because God has something for us to do because he regards us as special as his people and he listens when we call him Father even though he's this great and awesome God and he loves us and that too is great and awesome. So let's pray. Dear Lord, help us to listen to your voice open our hearts that we can truly pray to you from our hearts as Nehemiah does here. Show us our mission and give us the courage to do what we ask. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Gary.